Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the Grounded Pixie Dice Set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're talking to Sean Howard. How's it going, Sean? It's going great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for coming on. Um, so, Sean, first, could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, where they might know you from? Yes, I think I can. So, uh, where they might know me from. Uh, so, I, I run a few different podcasts on the internet. Uh, the, the one that involves role-playing is called The End of Time and Other Bothers. It's a live play podcast that uses comedy improvisers around the table. Uh, I also produce Alba Salix on a couple other shows in that world. Very cool. I'm a big fan of Alba Salix. I listened to it all after we met at PodCon, and uh, I'm hooked, and I'm waiting for that next season. Ah, us too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how long have you been playing uh, D&D or any... Have you, how long have you been playing tabletop games, I guess? Ooh. Uh, since I was 12. So if I date myself, that's... 37 years though there was a break there have been breaks long breaks where i you know thought i had to become an adult <laughs> um but you know i've given up on that now so i think um i sort of got more seriously into it in college i just happened to um have a roommate that uh was a senior at college and had this uh game that was going and got invited to that and that was probably where I met the GM that most inspired me, right? Changed how I thought about the game. Um, yeah. And so then I played for quite a long time after that. And then, yeah, took a break to, you know, become a professional marketer, which don't do that. It's not fun. <laughs> well, you brought something up that I'm, I'm kind of curious about. the That GM that you met that changed how you thought about GMing. How did they change? How did they change how you thought about it? It was it was less about the rules and it was it was telling a story that inspired the table or answered sort of the like when a lot of us were playing games it's because we're we become really attached to the character to the the arc and having a GM the for the first time I think in my life sort of listened and and developed arcs that were specific to each player around the table i don't it was just really inspiring right it really the game became so much more um intense and fun but also scary and moving and so i think it was really the first time i witnessed someone that just sort of focused on that over other things and it was funny because we weren't even playing dnd i believe they were playing champions uh, if anybody remembers that game um way back it was like you had to have like 72 six-sided dice <laughs> so many dice 
So, Sean, uh, your show, The End of Time and Other Bothers, is heavily improvised and like very well done so. Uh, so would you like to talk about improvising roleplay at the table? I'd love to talk about that. Um, yeah, so so when I set out to create End of Time and Other Bothers, I was obviously following in the steps of shows like The Adventure Zone. Uh, I was following in the steps of shows... Um, now I'm going to blank. Dear God. I was following in the footsteps of shows like Join the Party. And I wanted to create something that brought the sound design elements to the table. Um, I made the bizarre choice of wanting to put it into the existing Alba Salix world. Don't know if I'd ever do that again. And one of the things that happened when I was really addicted and really listening to the Adventure Zone was... I suddenly clued in that they were using comedy improvisation techniques, which is something that I really enjoy uh, outside of podcasting. And so I sort of had this aha moment and I wanted to do that and combine sort of the sound design that we were starting to see in live play podcasts, like join the party and others. And so that's sort of how it came about. And it sort of started this journey of trying to figure out how, what is that mesh? And while we're using, I wouldn't say professional, but we're using, well, in some cases, professional comedy improvisers around the table. In some cases, it's actors with comedy improv training. Um, it's sort of been fun to also see how it's changed my, excuse me, my gameplay as a game master. It's changed the way I GM to where even when I'm working now with tables that aren't experienced in comedy improvisation, I'm, I'm really enjoying using the techniques that have sort of evolved out of doing it at the end of time and other bothers table one thing I'm, I'm curious about is like you've got kind of a a good window into this because there's we've talked a little bit i think before about using a little bit of improv techniques you know stuff like yes and and, and whatnot um yeah. but you've kind of got a unique window into like how that works at a table where you're just playing for fun with some friends and how that works when you're playing um for an audience uh can you talk a bit, little bit about how how that works what the difference is between you know when you're just playing at home for fun versus i mean still playing for fun but you're playing for an audience yeah uh, so first of all i think that um joint storytelling um is something that can happen at every level you don't have to have improv experience um the second you decide to record your game it does change. And I think it should change. It changes because we suddenly have an audience, right? So we have, we're all staring at mics. Um, there's a bit of a performance edge to it when we, um, when we do it in recording. So for example, I'm used to doing six to eight hour sessions, right? Like I'm addicted to that. And when we record Anytime Another Bothers, it is, it's a hard one hour cap. Um, that's really all everyone can put in because there's this in there's such a focus on the game, the characters, um, but also performing. Right? There's this pressure in the room, and it it takes a lot out of us. We're pretty drained after an hour, um, so it really changes it when you're just doing an you know you're in fast and you got to get you can't you can't take as much time to get to things because we we want to sort of have this energy right and this motion to the story. So that's probably one of the biggest differences as far as like how it changes the way we play. Um, I don't know. Like I, I find that the more I, the more time I spend at a table um, with, with professional improvisers, 
um, the more inspired I get sometimes to try things at my other tables. Um, because there's something really magical and immersive when the players start to co-create a story and, 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 and really like do it as if they're the characters, right? Speak like the characters, act like the characters. And I watch how when things get dark or dangerous in our live play, um, I watch how it affects everyone at the table. And, and I love that, right? I don't know about you, but it's so amazing when we're telling a story at the table with our friends and we see them get affected, right? We see them sitting forward or getting nervous. Uh, and that's a lot of fun for me to, to get that level of immersion. So what are some things that, I guess, for people out there who are thinking of doing their own actual play podcast, like what are, are there any things that you can think of that, that work just fine when you're playing with friends, but don't work so well when you're playing, when you're doing a podcast? Yes. Um, every battle in every D and D game <laughs> <laughs> initiative perception roles. Um, there's a lot of parts of D and D that really drag. Um, you know, it's one of the, and, and Wizards of the Coast knows it. They acknowledge it, right? They're, 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 you know, they're talking about changing the initiative system. Though, though interesting, I think it might drag more, what, what I've seen proposed. Um, so I think, I think when you think about recording for a show, there's this um, pace you want to hit. And, and, and people want to hear the banter at the table. They want to hear some dice rolls, but they don't want to sit through three hours fighting four zombies. Right. Um, right? So, um, so yeah, I... That's sort of why I did not choose D&D as the system for The End of Time and Other Bothers. Um, I spent a lot of time digging through so many systems, and I was getting back into it at this point. So I was trying to sort of ramp up on what's new about D&D at that point. Um, and I ended up on a PBTA game, Dungeon World, because I really love the storytelling flow of it. Um, it fit really well, right? It's it's action first, and it's all about escalation. So it's So it was finding a format, too. But as far as yeah, there's parts of D and D that drag. We all we all know. But when you you know when you're when you got beer and pretzels and four hours, it's sort of fun. I think that's the one thing that I've noticed with all of the the uh, actual play podcasts is if they're using D and D, then either they very quickly start to cut out most of that like rolling and figuring stuff out, or it becomes a podcast that's almost more about the table talk and and like what happens in between like while you're rolling rather than the actual story and or they'll just switch to another system like what adventure time did when they switched to uh monster hunter or monster of the week monster of the week yeah and but like even when they're playing D, griffin seemed to be trying to twist and turn it so that it wasn't a like like you said, like four hours of figuring out how to fight these four zombies. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're doing it for a live play, you've you've got to fast track through the battles, even if it means. And I've you can sort of hear Griffin a few times just fast forwarding, like ending certain things a little early. Yeah, I think that's it's probably what the situation where I see DMs when it comes to actual plays, like taking a monster that's supposed to have three hundred hit points and turning it into a monster with. 70 hit points because <laughs> yeah. trying to fight something that's got more than like if it takes more than one round to take something down then your podcast just turns into okay well i hit it sound of dice rolling okay you hit it yes so what other ways have you found or are there any other ways that you found that 
improv techniques have helped with the the podcasting. Oh yeah. So I think it can help for everything. So let's 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 step back and say why are we getting together to play a game? I mean that's important to think about I think as a GM sometimes. I mean first of all it should be fun. Um and I don't know about you guys I'd love to know your experiences but there's those those moments we have as GMs where we see it become immersive. We see everyone, like I was talking about, start sweating or worried or their character might die or or sometimes it's not even a big battle moment. And we see everyone, someone just really step forward, right? Like they're really interested in this backstory moment for their character. It means something to them. And I think that that immersive experience is one of the cool things about a role-playing game. We can become this other character in a time when, you know, we have bows and, and magic. And using shared storytelling and comedy improv techniques um, can really make that happen more at the table and remove some of the pressure I think we feel as game masters, um, interestingly, though there is a bit of a period of getting used to it, right? Yeah, I think that feeling of like being around a table and having your players get drawn into the story and seeing them, the story start to affect them. I think that's one of the things that I missed the most after having moved to playing online through Roll20 is, is unless like even with video chat, you don't quite get that as much because when you're all around a table, like everybody's feeding off each other's energy, whereas a moment can kind of be ruined because somebody's mic cuts out in the middle of their epic speech or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of playing at the table is when I look over and a couple of my players are getting the bit like just big eyes because they're in danger. Or they're worried about their character or what's happening. Yes. Sean, I wanted to ask you about improv techniques because we've talked about yes. And a couple of times on the show, but I know there there's more to improv than just that. Um, do you have any kind of more advanced improv techniques that you you utilize? Yes, I can definitely talk about that. Sorry, let me just say, I'll start that again. I just want to realize I have to put my laptop's going to go to sleep. Okay. Um, yes, I, I can totally speak to that. I would love to. So, yeah, and I was listening. And I also loved, I was trying to figure out who it was, the one about lying. Oh, uh, my that that is my good friend, Ray. Oh, I love that episode. That was also, I was laughing so so much through there. We can all relate to those moments. Um, yeah, so yes and has been talked about. Um, the key, though, is not just to accept offers, it's to justify them. So that means when an offer is something you have to start to listen for, when a player sort of steps up and says, um, I don't know, it could be, it could be something really what I call blunt, like I see something shining in the sand. Um, we want to lean into that when we say yes and. We want to justify it and go, you do accept and, and then drop something right like we want to take it and we want to bring it into our world and make it bigger make it better we want to we want to give it even more feel to it um and the other one is no but which i think you guys have also talked about um this one can be hard though it's about saying no to the specific but yes to the offer um so like yes to the action of what they're saying but maybe giving the unexpected twist or outcome and i can talk more about that if you want but let's talk about some new things. So escalation, escalation, escalation. It is the it is the it is the core skill that everyone at the table can start to use. It's about um, what I love about PBTA games is they're built for it. Uh, Dungeon World is you know it basically walks you through how to do comedy improv um, when it talks about the GM's role is to pressure the players and then always end with 
Now, what do you do? And thinking about that also can apply to D&D. I use it in my D&D games, right? Like uh, the dragon roars and smiles as it advances with thundering steps, you know, growing faster into a full run towards the party. What do you do? And it's this idea of taking every situation and escalating it and then putting the player, the character, player characters right into the seat of tell me what you do. I don't want to hear about a role. I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear the action first, right? Uh, I panic and throw my sword at it, whatever. Um, and then my job as the GM or our job is to then escalate it again. What is? What are the consequences? Is there a role needed? Maybe there isn't. Um, but this idea of, of taking situations and thinking about rather than just say what you see, which is easy. It's hard not to fall into that trap sometimes, right? You enter the room, you see a dragon. But if you can actually say, how do I escalate, put pressure on the players? Um, that's something we do in improv. And it's the idea of bringing it alive, right? Making it matter and then making it matter more, more, more in peril, more dangerous, or just more pressure, right? Like, uh, you know, so, so that idea of escalation is something that we can all practice around the table and players can start to do it. If you listen to the end of time and other bothers, you'll hear some of my players um, take a scene that's maybe not going anywhere and they'll introduce an escalation. Right. They'll give it a twist. I have more. Yeah. Keep, yeah. Keep going. This is all great. <laughs> keep going. Just keep going. Okay. <laughs> okay. So when you start doing comedy improv at the table, um, it's, it's okay. I got to back up and talk about one thing. Um, it's really easy as a GM to start to think of ourselves as the supreme leader. You may all bow to me now at the table, right? Um, we are, we're, we're the rule end. We're, we're right. It all stops here. Does the rule work or not work? Do we accept their interpretation? Um, but when we start to think about, how put this, I, I'm starting to think of myself more as the, the you know, the narrator in the movie. Um, my job is to uh, set up a scene. So to start the movie, like, does, how does this open? We open on a plane and it's a beautiful sunny day, except, you know, uh, a rain of arrows are arcing towards us or whatever. Like my job or our job as a GM is often to open the moment. But we also have a technique that we can use called cut to, which we use a lot in improv. So, you know, we're in a scene, they finished a battle and we got to, you know, we know everyone's going to want to loot the bodies and do this. I'll often be like, we cut to late that night and we're around the campfire and Jonathan looks sad, staring down at his pouch that's in his lap. And then I'll just pause and let them start. So now it's up to the players. I've set a scene. I'll often do a little more adjectives, but we'll set up a scene and then I'll put some kind of thing in it. Um, and then I'll let them justify it, right? I'll let them start from there. What's in his lap? What is it? Why is he staring at his pouch? But this idea of a cut to um, is often most of my prep work is trying to figure out what are the scenarios or things that I might want to be able to cut to. Let's let's cut to they've arrived at the palace. Um, maybe in this session we're going to cut to, I'll just create a few different scenarios that might come up. And the rest, I can just make up on the spot. Um, I can cut to two hours in the future. I can also cut to way back in the past, right? We've I think we've all done that as jams, right? Do the whole, excuse me, the backstory of one of the characters. So this idea of using a cut to is a way to just keep the table on its feet and also to just be like, we're done here. We don't have to journey for three days. You don't need to roll any of that trail stuff. I hate that stuff. Um, let's just cut to right away you're being attacked by bandits on the road. 
Um, so we can sort of control the pace of the game with using a cut. Tool. I, I really like that idea because I think one of the things that I've come to realize is like when I, when I first played, I was doing the D and D five edition, fifth edition box set. And they've got some stuff in there about like, Oh, if you're traveling, they've got a map of the area and you're traveling over land and you know, this is how fast they travel. And so like, to go from here to here, it'll take this many days. And every day you should roll on this random encounter table to see what they run into. And I've realized over time that random encounter tables, they're, they're just, they're kind of really boring, but they're, they come out of the idea in D and D that there's an adventure day. So like in order to challenge your players, they have to have so many encounters per in quote unquote encounter day. And Mm -hmm. I've just started to do pretty much this of the, like the cut to like, okay, you guys leave the city and start traveling to your destination and then cut to you're at the entrance to the dungeon. Like the, Mm -hmm. the idea of having to role play the travel, like I might cut to like halfway through your journey, you're sitting around a campfire with the head of the merchant caravan and some guards that you're escorting or whatever it is just to have a little bit of role play throw thrown in there. Yeah, I love that stuff. But I've come to realize that the only time that you should be doing overland travel is if you treat the overworld travel as basically a giant, like almost like a giant puzzle. Like it, like the goal is trying to find the thing and you kind of do have to tweak it a little bit. There have to be, you kind of have to have to have built the map beforehand. So you know that, oh, when they move from, this square or hex grid to this one this is what's what they might find uh rather than just it being entirely random but i think 95 to 99 percent of the time every dm can just go with yeah you leave the city and we're going to cut to and now you're at your destination whether that's another city a dungeon a hag's tree in a forest wherever it is that they're going you don't have to worry so much about the travel Unless, like, maybe if you're playing a game that's more concerned with survival elements, like you want them to have to care about how many rations they have and stuff like that. But I think most DMs, you can hand wave that as you're a party of adventurers, you know how to hunt <laughs> or, or or you know how to survive or have have enough things so that you can get to your destination. I It does hold some appeal for for dms especially you know because we like telling stories and one of the greatest fantasy novels of all time is basically a story about traveling across this world like the like hobbit and lord of the rings are about like following these characters as they travel from place to place but i think even tolkien does some skipping and throws in like random songs and poems and stuff so that you're not he's not just writing about and then they traveled over another hill yeah i i think the difference uh, ends up being travel as the the adventure and oh we're traveling i guess i should add some things between it because you know it's a dangerous world and dangerous things happen all the time and that can be fine yeah but sometimes instead of narrating through a whole bunch of it and having a bunch of small encounters you can be like yeah you encounter this one dangerous thing let's talk about what happens with that okay and then after that you're at your your destination yeah and i i love i love both those things that you guys just talked about and i think you nailed it there when you jesse when you're talking about is the adventure you're taking them on 
the endless journey where they may never get to the right. They're never going to get there. Like it, that's sort of what you're playing with, right? So maybe like you, Sean, you take them through like day after day of you know another camp night, another attack, another whatever, and it's all these offshoot adventures. Um, you know, in which case you could just keep playing with that. That's the journey. Um, or I totally agree, Sean. If it's just like, hey, you're going to the thing, like why not just have them go to the thing? And when you're starting with like a, a table that's less familiar with improv, that these techniques and sharing, then I just would do it very simply. But I love to introduce little moments for them to start to connect with the character. So I might do something like um, we cut to the campfire and every the, the, the fire is burning down, the embers are glowing coals, everyone is settling and shifting on their mats. And we come in on Johan, who is staring up at the skies, fingering the amulet at his neck, and tell me what he's worried about. And usually the table goes really quiet and everyone turns to that player, right? It's just a moment to get some color, um, to, to sort of help them explore that character. With more advanced tables, oh, well, you can listen to my show. I'll literally be like, we cut to, you've reached your destination. You are standing in front of the temple. The entrance is guarded by three, you know, whatever, standing there. And Egerton is staggering behind everyone with a arrow stuck through his shoulder. And we won't even have covered the battle. Like, a little bit like the last scene, they just left town all happy, right? Oh, we're heading to whatever. And I'll, like an advanced table, I'll throw them to after the battle. Because often they'll have more fun reenacting between them what went wrong than even doing the battle. Um, it depends on your table, right? Some tables want to do every battle. Um, so you can really play with cut to in, in really fun ways with your table and 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 sort of, I find it can push the role playing, right? It can help people that are a little less comfortable with role playing start to engage more. It's it's funny that you mentioned that because when you were when you first started talking about cut to, the first thing that popped into my head was having a having the party and just narrating like and we cut to the grand hall of the king that you've been traveling to see and you're all <laughs> covered in ooze. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and letting 100%. them figure out how how did you like you were traveling here but what happens that you got covered in ooze and why are you still covered in ooze? <laughs> yeah, reminds me too of uh, one of my favorite moments of RP that I ever had. We had just finished this like long slog of an adventure in the underdark and like people had abandoned the party and there were only two of us left. And we basically for about an hour, our characters got drunk and re like kind of recapped what had happened to a bartender who had made the mistake of asking. Them. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And cut twos are great to do as a GM when you have two players doing that. Um, it's, it's called a game in improv so jesse if you and that other player were doing that the gm like you'd be having these really funny moments and then i'd be like cut to one hour later and you guys would keep going <laughs> right and we could actually make it as if you were talking for a whole night do you know what i mean cut to the next morning at 6 a.m and the way the the you know the table wench is washing up and you guys are still going so you can sort of use cut to to even accentuate those little moments right to add even more humor to the table sean i was wondering if you could talk a bit about i believe the it's called pimping power. <laughs> it was one of my notes. Yep, yeah, I can. Okay, so I have a few obstacles. So I'm going to start at the beginning, but I will get to pimping the GM. It is a great, great ask. Um, okay, so the first obstacle that you're going to run into in improv is is it's a 
I wouldn't say it's a problem. It depends on the style of play. Um, but as we start moving towards a more immersive game, it means that the players are more engaged, right? As as the characters, then it becomes can become more immersive, at least in my experience. And um, one of the problems, and we've all experienced it, because it's, you know, there's in D and D, for example, there's a lot of dice rolling and there's a lot of skill checks, and so there's a lot of shorthands to develop, like, um, you know. Uh, I want to make sh- I want to make a perception check to make sure there's no one in the house, um, and 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 I will often say to them, "Hey, tell me what you do. Tell me," and I'll say their character. Tell me what Johan does. Tell me what Esmeralda does, and then they'll give generally give me something like, "Well, all right." I pause at the door, take a deep breath, and then I quickly peek around the corner. That's more interesting because um, that's an offer. Like that's an offer to me, you know, to like. You know, as you peek around, another head peeks around and you both scream or whatever. Like, do you know what I mean? There's an offer to that to that action. And so that's the first thing. I need to talk before I get to pimping about the overzealous co-creator. Let me know if you guys have experienced this. You may have experienced it even if not doing improv techniques. I run into the room. I behead the giant. I spit in his face. I stand on him. And I take the gold that I find out of his pocket and put it in mine. <laughs> and as a GM, we're like, what? <laughs> right? Like, that's like 12 actions. Like what have you done? You know what I mean? And so, so we'll often traditionally we'd, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, uh, yeah, no, that's not what happens. Uh, let's see if you can get into the room. Right. Um, so in improv, how do you deal with that? Yes. And that, like, how do you, yes. And that like, it's not easy. Right. You're like, well, I don't want to just like cut to the giant dead. Um, so, so what we do is we, we say yes to the, we'd say yes to the desire and the, and the energy, but we say no to the specific outcome they desire. Right. So I want to, so I might do something like, you know, you burst into the room with a scream, your ax above your head, only to meet the backswing of the giant's club. That's the size of a car. I think you need to do a, you know, a deck save. <laughs> or you just say, and the rest of the party sees this player or this character uh, fall to the ground as the you know the fungus that they ate finally takes hold and their hallucination hallucination is in full swing <laughs> what do the rest of you do <laughs> right so so that's the overzealous player and you will deal with it because when you start co-creating you're opening up to the table to say hey guys you can help create the story and some of them might take it a little too far okay pimping the gm is another thing that's going to come up okay one of the best examples of this i want to give a shout out to spout lore uh, spout lore uh, it's actually near you guys i think i was telling jesse about it it's uh it's in vancouver a uh, bunch of comedy improvisers sort of like my show um i love the show and there was this beautiful scene where uh the lead the lead player one of the lead players um there's this monster coming out of the water and he decided to pimp the gm and he is a professional improviser so he totally you can hear the smile in his voice he knew what he was doing so he basically said I reach down onto the sand and I pull up a plus seven spear of monster slaying. And, and so the GM, uh, who's also an improviser was like, uh, no, you can't, no, you, you don't find a plus seven more. And he's like, so he just kept going. He's like, I reach down and I take that plus seven monster slaying and I attack the monster. And so what the GM did was he said, you find a spear on the ground that the fisherman dropped. So, but you can sort of hear in that moment the the player is trying to pimp the GM. He's trying to basically put the GM in a position. The most common pimping is um, on stage in comedy improv, you'll hear, is trying to undress a player or 
trying to get two players to talk as one. Oh, why don't you tell me the poem? But you have you always speak in the same <laughs> voice. So pimping the GM will happen when a player will say something like, I grab my amulet and it glows and gives me ungodly strength. And I will always try and accept the pimp. So I would say to someone, someone did that to me. And I basically said, we cut to, you know, and I'll say the character name, you know, Esmeralda, who's unable to open the door to her house because she keeps busting or punching her hand through it every time she reaches for the door handle. <laughs> um, so a pimp is when a player is going to use their power and try and make something happen for the GM um, or trying to sort of, I guess, take advantage of it. But they're often doing it out of fun. So I find the best thing to do in those situations is just go with it. Like like you were saying with the fungus, take the more ex most extreme result from whatever they're pimping you on and go with it. Or just deny it. Be like, you can find a spear, but you're not going to find a plus seven spear of slaying. I mean, we've covered a few techniques that are really valuable for, for GMs who want to use improv techniques, especially the one with dealing with players who just kind of get way too excited about this newfound freedom. Uh, are there any other uh, techniques that you'd like to, to tell us about? Yeah, listening. It's really hard, right? As GMs, like, I'll talk, I, I can talk about my prep in a minute, but try not to be paging through, right? Um, really pay attention to the table. Um, it really helps because you're going to catch little, every action a player suggests um, or every feeling that they're feeling is an offer to us. When when players are slowing down and they're looking pensive and they, they grasp the amulet around their neck, that's an offer. That's saying to us as the GM, this is important. This moment is important to this player and their feeling and their character, right? And we can we can remember that and we can we can accentuate it. We can come back to it later, right? What what are they feeling? Um, as far as anything else, I think I talked about all the time. No, I think that's about it. Uh, practice giving up control. I don't. I think we do give up control now. So I think part of it is recognizing where we're already using these techniques. Like, I don't know about, I'm assuming this happens everywhere. I've seen it at every table I'm at. Um, you know, you roll the hit, you roll your damage. It's this horrible, crazy battle. We're all on edge. How many of us are going to die? And then the GM turns to you and says, tell me how it goes, right? Tell me how they die. Um, you did it, right? That's us giving up power to our players. Like, tell me how you kill the monster. Like, And we're basically saying, carte blanche, right? Do you chop its head? What happens? Um, moments like that are, are basically us giving up control. And, and I think we can do more of that. Yeah. I think there is definitely a fear from GMs. Like I've, I've felt this, I'm still fairly somewhat new to GMing. So like there are moments where I'll ask the players what happens and, you know, I'll, I definitely have a problem where I'll like. I'll over script what's supposed to happen in my head. Like I won't write anything down, but I've got yeah. this idea in my head of how, how a moment should go, not the combat because that's, that's completely up to the players. But with regards to like, we're, you know, after the combat, when the, the big bad is, is dying and I wanted to have like some kind of moment and expected it to be like, you know, an epic speech or some kind of back and forth. And then the player, one of the players will just walk up and be like, and I kill him. He, he's pissed me off this entire campaign. I'm just going to kill him. <laughs> it's like, oh, yep. oh okay, uh, sure. And I think it's, it's one of those things where 
when you give up control, you kind of have to realize that, you know, if you've put your players through the ringer with a bad guy or you've been building up this powerful uh, force and they've been sent to defeat it, anything can happen when you let your players make a decision. And I think it's something that every GM has run into. You know, when you try to make a puzzle or something, the players will always find the weirdest, wackiest solution that you never would have thought of. But when it comes to those like character moments, those these moments where you're improving and handing off control that, yeah, you if you've been pushing their buttons via this bad guy or there's some powerful force and they're really invested in their characters and their characters want to protect their homeland, then, yeah, maybe you're not going to get that epic movie scene of a back and forth <laughs> conversation you know, philosophically waxing about various points. Maybe they're just going to kill the thing. Yep. And so, yeah. So a couple things. As a GM, um, there's nothing funnier than building up this big moment and having them immediately do some crazy thing that kills your creature. Like everyone at the table just dies, right? Everyone loves it. They're like, they all start cheering. Like they're like, what? Um, and as a GM, you're like, that was supposed to last an hour and a half. What am I going to do? So um, the first thing I always ask is, is this more interesting? Right? Is what they're about to do more interesting? Is what they've introduced more interesting? If it is, I escalate the situation. Remember, our job as the Game Master is to bring consequences. And I, my table will tell you, I can be brutal in bringing the consequences. If if they're going to give me that opportunity, I will take it further. I will escalate it and then ask what they do now. Um, yeah. And so, uh, for example, I had a character I was building up. I was doing every trick. A lot of the tricks you guys have interviewed and talked about, I, they hated this person. I had him taunt them. I had him constantly behind everything that thwarted them. And then they used a device I'd forgotten I give them, and they trapped him in it. It was over, right? He's trapped. Um and in that moment, I was like, I felt it. I was like, no, no, this is not how this can go. And then I was like, this is way more interesting because, you know, who does he work for? Like, what happens now? What happens when this force is gone from the world? I love thinking about that. Who moves in, right? What now is possible? And also, he's just trapped. So he's not gone. So in my head, I know he's coming back, right? Um, but also, just to finish... Sometimes the players surprise us in a way that is the best thing in the world. I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to give any spoilers about episode 19, but I give a device from the dark force in my current campaign to one of my players. And when I created this device, I remember having a thought, what if they use it in their secret, this one place, what if they were to use it there? And I was like, no, that's not going to happen. And in the episode, in Improv at the Table, they used it there. And you can hear the pause in my voice, and then you can hear literally as, well, we use sound design, but the, basically we destroyed this entire play. Like this, they unleashed the evil presence within the center, the heart of the fortress that's working against to defeat the dark presence. So um, it basically turned the tide of the whole campaign in this one moment. And you And, and so sometimes... When we give up control, our characters can give us an even, you know, darker turn too. And I think something to think about with regards to like if you've if you've had a villain that the characters have been fighting against for a while who always manages to get away or get free whenever he ca they capture them, 
it just it made me think of the the Spider-Man game for PlayStation 4 that came out a little oh, while ago and the character of Kingpin where there's this character who is definitely a bad guy he's the head of this huge organized crime family he's definitely not in the city's best interest to keep him around but at the same time it kind of is because he was a like a stabilizing influence on the underworld on all these gangs and whatnot and when he disappeared things definitely got a little bit worse and like that's something that i think a another tool in the toolbox for gms is if you've got a character a bad guy and the party kills him or captures him and sends him to jail or sends this thing like sends him to a another plane of existence there's now like i think it's one of the things about being a gm and trying to create like a living world is like what moves in to fill that power vacuum? Who moves in? What what other yeah. groups were just waiting in the wings for this opportunity and now the party has handed it to them on a silver platter? Like how does how does your world react and what happens? 100%. Yeah, I love consequences. And I think that's one of the when you start giving up control, you realize that as a GM, the power to set a scene and the power to give consequences are two of the greatest storytelling things in existence. Um, when we're on stage in comedy improv, there's no one person that holds that role. Um, but at a game table, we do, right? And we can, um, we also control the pace of the game, which you guys have talked about, right? Which is why I love cut to, right? We can be in the, I've, I've had my crew in the middle of a battle that frankly, they're about to lose, right? Like I'm killing the players. Like I'm using a new system, right? I don't know how powerful to make the monsters. I'm trying to behind my scene, behind my screen, cheat and lower them. But I realize they're not going to survive this. And so I'll do a cut to back in time, right? To the setup. And my players, because we're doing it for the air, they'll literally start talking about, you ready for the battle? Yeah, we're going to whip their ass, right? They'll, they'll play the opposite, right? They'll be real bravado. And then I'll cut back to the battle and there's only one of them standing, right? So, so we can use the cut twos, but, but the idea of, of what happens when they, the other thing, have you ever, have you guys ever done this? You had this big campaign running, you get to the end, they, they, right. I was just playing with a, what is it? The one with Tiamat, right? Or the rise of Tiamat, the rise of the dragons. Um, and Tiamat's dead. Everything's one. There's a couple of them left standing and there's always this long, weird moment. Like, now what? <laughs> right? What does anyone remember why we did this? Or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's always this wonderful moment of now what? And as our as a GM, it is an amazing moment to do what you just talked about, right? To give I love to give a hint in that moment, right? Like someone approaching from the guard, you know, dressed in whatever, going, We hereby declare this was done in the name of the king and the players are like well, well no we did it and they're like well then you have to die and we cut for the night you know what i mean like just show there's another force that's already filling the gap right this was all done for another reason yeah really fun things we can play with and i think that's one of the things like the you're talking about like the consequences that that storytelling systems i think are better at preparing the gm for um like the powered by the apocalypse system i've played a little bit uh like i played a a wrestling game that used power by the apocalypse oh, cool. i've uh, I, i've got the rule book for monster of the week and it seems like the gm's role is really just to 
notice when is a good time to inject some bad consequences for your players <laughs> rather than being this like all controlling force. It's really the players are getting up to stuff. And then when they fail a role, that's your time to come in and be like, so <laughs> bad things have happened. Let's figure yes. out what those are. A hundred percent. And, but the idea of escalation is something we can all use in every system, right? They're just, you know, when the players, they're just walking down the street and we do it all the time. And we're like, they hear a scream from down the alley, right? Like that's us. And then we say, what do you guys do? Right? Like that idea of, of just applying something. And I love it when they, when I do something like that and they choose not to do it, I write it down because there's going to be a consequence. Yeah. Right. And my players now are almost a little manic. They're like, do we do that? Because it might end badly. But if we don't do it, what's going to, you know, like, what's the butterfly effect from that? Yeah. Um, So it can be really a fun way to set up a world. And I think the more our world has consequences, good and bad, they can be good consequences, um, the more immersive it can feel to them, right? The more alive, the more real. I think it's the one thing that I found about D&D is that it is, it can be a little bit trickier for the consequences, especially like if you're in the middle of a battle and you need something bad to happen, where is, whereas like in a system like the powered by the apocalypse systems or fate accelerated, you can have something be like, well, like you, you landed badly after jumping over the monster and now you've, you've twisted your ankle. So like, here's a yeah. mechanical consequence to you flubbing that role. Whereas in D and D it's, it's a little bit harder to come up with those because the system is so mechanical that it can be hard to figure out like, okay, you, you tried to do something really awesome and you rolled athletics and you failed. Are you just at disadvantage for the rest of the the fight or, or like how do you, or trying to come up with a monster really quickly on the fly can be tough. Yes. And I think it's less the, yeah, that's a good question. It's a good statement. I experienced that. Right. So starting up a powered by the apocalypse game when I hadn't, I've never done anything like it. Um, it was really hard for me to come up with consequences because a Powered by the Apocalypse game, like if you fail roll or partial, there has to be a consequence. And there's they have a list of things to think about, but it was really hard for me. It's like It was like developing a new mental muscle. And when I started thinking about it like improv, it got a little easier. So now coming back to D&D, I totally hear you. It, it is. It's, it's all written out, right? This is a fail. This is a success. There's no mixed success. Um, but starting to practice the idea of consequence and applying pressure can totally work in D&D, right? There, you guys even talked about it. You're in a battle and somebody does something stupid. Always happens, <laughs> right? They think they're doing something good. Um, and like, you know, you you can you can escalate like the magic user goes to cast a fireball and you see the bad guy go no not and then the fireball goes off and there's and you're like oh that's what that smell was it was gas <laughs> right and there's a giant fireball like you can you can definitely play with consequences in D D, even within the rule system um like you're technically like i guess technically you could just roll the damage but I think all of us as gyms, if you set off a fireball in a in a swamp, there could be right a gas explosion, or there's other ways. Um, you guys have talked about it too, but also um, cut to can also save us when we don't know what to do, right? So if a battle's getting boring, I'll just cut to the aftermath, right? I can see it at the table. We've been rolling, we've been we're winning. We know we're starting to win, but we you know it's going to go on for a little longer. We can just cut to the aftermath, but I'll but I'll try and escalate the situation somehow, right? Like. You're searching through the bodies and 
the man with the red mask is not there. I feel like that one is, I think for, for, for groups that mostly play D and D the like cutting immediately to the aftermath is I think one of the trickiest things and probably the thing that we'll probably hear the most pushback against, because I think when it comes to D and D at least players, like it, it's that tricky thing of like taking away player agency versus like just trying to make things interesting for everybody, because you might have one or two players that are really enjoying this battle because they're getting to use all of their, their powers and they're getting to show off how powerful they are. And they know that they're like, whether they're winning or losing, they want that entire battle to be decided just by them in the dice. They don't want to just cut to the end where they, you know, didn't get to do a bunch of cool stuff anymore. But then, then we use the other techniques, right? If your table won't, again, it's a learning curve, right? Learning these techniques, you start slowly. So I would generally not, I wouldn't start with doing it in a battle because you're right. But, but you, we also can always have the bad guy fly away or escape. Like there's other ways, right? We can do similar things. We can also have reinforcements arrive, right? There's other ways we can escalate or change a situation. Um, but as your table gets used to it and starts role playing more. Um, you'll get a feel. You'll get a feel for what your table enjoys. Yeah. Right. Um, I have tables that love role playing so much they just want to get more role playing in, and they want me to really up the ante. It it almost becomes like you know, um, uh, I don't even know the name of the show, the one everybody watches. Critical um, Role. Game of, no, Game of the what Game is of that? I don't know the big show. Anyway, Game of Thrones. <laughs> it becomes like Game of Thrones. Like we are, it's like a soap opera level, right? We're just getting more and more. Everyone sleeping and backstabbing everyone. <laughs> And then I have tables where they want to roll. They want to. They want to roll the dice. They want to attack. They want to use their abilities. Right. I've got a monk that wants to attack seventeen times. <laughs> um, right. And so there, it's different. But there, um, I find that figuring out what those characters want, we can use these techniques to get them what they want. So even the characters that want to attack a lot, um, there's often also something else in there. It might be ego. It might be a sense of being recognized, right? Finally having whatever. And so we'll we'll flash them back to do a whole thing about that. And then I'll bring them, flash them right back forward, right in the battle. But now something, like they go down, you know, it's the classic movie thing. They go down to pick up something off, like a sword that's dropped. Their hand closes around it and the whole world goes black. And we're back in time when they're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And their dad had dropped the sword. And we do a whole thing. And then we come right back into the battle. Right. And we let them kick ass, maybe even now with a bonus. But anyways, it's starting to figure out your table. Right. What do they want? Like, you know, do they, they, why are they why are they so into this? If you can answer that, you'll also understand the story they want and you can help give them more of that. Um, I think this is a actually this is a pretty good note to end on, Sean. Uh, we're, we're starting to run a bit short on time. So uh, got to ask you the traditional final question. Uh, if you could go yes, back sir. in time and give yourself one piece of advice on how to DM, what would you, what would you say to yourself? Hmm. I would say to myself, um, prep less. <laughs> um, I spent a lot of time panicking that I didn't prep enough. And some of the greatest games I've ever run had nothing to do with the amount of prep. I mean, I've sat for hours filling in every box on a town map. All right, Johan's arrow Fletcher shop, uh, his sister's armory. Um, and I guess if I could give myself advice, it would be start to look around the table and figure out what gets everyone to lean forward in their chair. 
Um, I actually track that on a card now and my ideas about that and, and then build the story, build the game around that. Cause that is way more fun for them. And it becomes way more fun for you as a GM to get them all leaning forward and sweating. Cool. So uh, before we get out of here, is there anything that you'd like to, to plug? Uh, I guess just my show, End of Time and Other Bothers. You can find it at otherbothers.com. It's in every podcatcher, Spotify, uh, whatever location. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I love your show. And I was so glad I got to meet you all. It was actually Eli from our booth that came over and met Jesse. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad I got to meet you guys. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so thanks so much for coming on. This has been a blast, and I know there was a couple a uh, couple other things that uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about. So maybe we'll uh, have you on some other time, and we'll chat about that stuff. That'd be great. Thanks again. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Moros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on social media at at DMs of Vancouver and also on Facebook. Uh, you can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and t- tell your friends about the show. Word of mouth really helps shows like ours grow and find an audience. And we're also part of the Cave Goblin Network. You can find our shows and many others at cavegoblins.com. And you can support us and the rest of the network at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. Doug Vandalay here for Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. Each week, I sit down with a comedian to talk about their career and their comedic influences. Learn about your favorite comedians talking about their favorite comedians. That's Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.